in the next episode of Splitting Cases. We're at the back of my place, and I'm catching up with an old mate that I haven't seen in a little while. And yes, that's not me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we're sitting out the back, and we're having a quite few beers before we head to the Stag and Hunter to see some live music, which is our... Uh, a very easy segue into our topic for today and our guest. And our guest, yeah. Um, I met this guy up in Darwin and he is an incredible, interesting, amazing person with a You're myriad fine. of... No, fuck off. <laughs> and a myriad of stories that he could possibly tell you about the next subject. But he's chosen live music, why it's important, pretty much the history of it and why it matters. And, yeah, as Pointy said... We're walking up the street after now to the Stag and Hunter, which used to be incredibly draggy, and now you can eat at and get a good schnitzel. It's all right. Um, but we're seeing Steve Smythe live, and he's pretty good. He's like a mix between Tom Waits and Jeff Buckley, somewhere in the middle of the two. Yeah, that sounds like a reasonable comparison, and I feel like the Stag and Hunter needs to start uh, supporting us. So I think this is the uh, second episode where we're referencing that we're going there. So The first being our first of 2015, when we drank an entire three-litre beer tower, which, you know, seemed more impressive than it was. Like, I was... I did come home and fall asleep under the table while Nothing Cutesy was working on some wedding invitations, and then we went to the beach, and I was... I think I was still drunk, but, like, three litres didn't really feel like that much. I think it was in addition to the few we had beforehand. I believe so, yes. Yes. Anyway, Richard Margotson. Hi. Very good afternoon to you, gentlemen. <laughs> I think we've had a beer to have, haven't we? Like, I just counted up, I think it's 12. <laughs> 12. That, that's the reason right. we started this podcast. That's yeah. reasonably normal. Yeah. And now, of course, I'll just be gabbing for, for <laughs> yonks. I'll just be going on and on and on. Like I'm not going to stop you. The bar fly. I'll that's just be okay. some bar fly. Well, if all the bars we could go to that you'd need a bar fly, definitely the Stag and Hunter, I think, would be one. Because you used to live in this area. Hold on, I'll clarify that I met this guy in Darwin and I now live here. He's still lives there in the ether of the other side of the country. Um, but you lived in Mayfield for a lot of time. Yeah, well, I worked for the ABC, and the first gig I ever had for the ABC after coming out of community radio was coordinator of Triple J Newcastle, 1993, where to I... To clarify, that, that no longer exists. Yeah, yeah, that's like in the dark ages. The long, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, and in fact, uh, I was the last Triple J coordinator of Triple J uh, in Newcastle because I actually closed the office and went and live in Sydney nice. a year after arriving. So, nice. But I lived in Mayfield... Mm. Um, for a variety of reasons, I lived in Mayfield because I'd just got married, I had a house that I was renovating in Adelaide, I'd had to move, my current partner and then wife was uh, doing her post-grad and so I commuted between Newcastle and Adelaide oh. and all I could do was rent a house and a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend said, oh, I've got this house in Mayfield and at that point the BHP was still open mm. and black stuff came from the sky, just grit was everywhere. See, we have a little bit of that now, like if you leave something out... Out. If, like, say you left a sheet of white paper out, in maybe a week it'd be just black, yeah. but well, the I imagine in, like, an hour you'd have it black for the BHP. Yeah, yeah, well, I think, yeah, the, the Coltrane's maybe bring that. But, yeah, I don't know what it was. I didn't uh, I didn't really investigate the uh, the history of the <laughs> industrialisation of Newcastle at the time. You're working for Triple J. Yeah, as if I cared. Um, <laughs> but I do remember that hanging sheets was something that you shouldn't do too quickly and don't lay anything white 
uh, on any windowsill anywhere. No. Yeah. So. That's very true. I feel like that's a life lesson anyway. <laughs> just to be careful with white sheets. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're bound to be stained by that's bats true. if you live in Darwin. Probably. Exactly. Um, Actually, we get a few, we're sitting underneath the mango tree here, and we do get That's why we haven't put the net on it, because we do get a few fruit bats just cracking the ones on top, and then they fall and make an entire mess. A remarkably tropical place, Newcastle. Yeah. I, well, you know, I've just come down from, from Darwin. We're in mm. the monsoon season and brought the monsoon with me. And, mm. uh, yeah, and we're off to the stag and hunter. Uh, can I use my gag from previously? Oh, you can use your gag I don't know why the stag and hunter haven't printed T-shirts that have got T-shirts that just say S-T-A-G-G-E-R-N-U-N-T-E-R. Like stag and hunter. Stag and Nanta. I'm sure there's a chance for us to bring that up to them tonight. <laughs> I'm going to talk to their marketing department immediately. Well, we have we have considered, you know, we've mentioned them enough to get a sponsorship. Now maybe that can be the splitting nice cases shirt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, remarkable artists <laughs> like Steve Smythe-Smith uh, did not play at the Staganunter when I was uh, here in 1993. No, and by the way, it's like a free gig. So, like, you walk in and you see someone of that calibre just hanging around, playing. Are going to get in? Do you yeah, reckon we're going we're, to get in? I was actually wondering whether I should be wearing shoes tonight or whether thongs are no, okay. No, no, thongs are fine. Thongs went, are fine? Because I went to see the gin club there a couple of weeks ago. Thongs, shorts, was fine. Awesome, because he's just too hot for shoes. Oh, yeah. I saw Steve in the Darwin Festival in 2014, mm. and he did a fantastic gig. I didn't really know. I knew a little bit about him, and, and I'd sort of t- bought the ticket on a bit of a whim and a prayer. Yeah. And uh, went to see his show and was just blown out as a live mm. performer and when I was wandering back to see if I could find my old house in Elizabeth Street <laughs> uh, when I thought, hmm, where am I? Oh, this is Mayfield. Um, uh, and, I, and as I walked back I saw that he was playing and I thought, who would go? Fair enough. Actually, the first time I saw him with the weird Darwin connection was we went to the Gumball Festival up in the Hunter Valley and Dave Garnham was playing a Darwin regular awesome singer-songwriter who appeared on the Tim Rogers solo podcast from Inside a Tent at the Gumball that day. But it sounded very Inception-ish then. It was like, inside this, inside that. <laughs> it's like this thing <laughs> There was this the thing that happened. Right. But uh, Dave Garnon played and then Steve Smythe hopped up afterwards and it was like, festivals don't often do this because you kind of go for a festival and the headline act plays and that's it and you go the next morning. But we woke up, we had some breakfast and we sat and watched Dave Garnon play. Like, that a Sunday morning chill-out schedule before people left and then Steve Smythe got up and played and I hadn't heard him before at all. He was excellent. Yeah, that was definitely my first experience. Yeah, I think it was. And then uh, a couple of months later, there was another gig out at the Hunter Valley, which was um, Pigsty in July, where Steve played as well, which was also equally fantastic. And I think your comment before about being blown away is kind of like the, the way everyone reacts, I think, the first time. He is my... He's, he imbues what I like in live performance, is that there's a lot of shoegazing going on these days. A lot of shoegazing. And oh. I'm a man who, you know, I'm a lot older than you fellas. And uh, showmanship was once something that was very much part of the deal uh, before the shoegazing came in, sort of, you know, your post-Seattle mob. And when he performed... He just was sucked up into his songs and he was giving everything everything physically and emotionally he could give to the song and uh, you've got to admire that. You've got to love a live performer who just gives that up. One thing I note, notice when I see him announce a tour is that he just doesn't do the capital cities or the regional centres. He does, like, fucking hundreds of dates around Australia. Every small town, every small pub, he just 
It's like he drives around and just stops anywhere he can. You know, yeah. he really fucking wants to play. And you've got to, you've got to, I think you've got to want to play. And if you're a muso, yeah. then you should play and you yeah. should play all the time. I saw, I, I um, am extremely lucky in that I do, uh, I MC for the Wyoming Adelaide Festival every mm. year. And last year I saw a band called Pokey Lafarge. Uh, Pokey Lafarge. Get onto it, boys. Okay. Just get I onto Pokey Lafarge. I am into it just based on that. It's a bit like seeing, say, Hank Williams on stage. <laughs> Circa 1945, 50, or oh, I don't know, when did he die? Um, and, ish, but, yeah. Yeah, ish, um, but with a modern twist. Now, one of the things was that that band, on the afternoon stage, on stage seven where I saw them play, just packed it out because the word was that they were going to be great live. They were unbelievable. And what the drummer told me later was that he was the new boy. He was the new boy in the in the band. Okay. The others had been together playing since they were in high school. Yeah. And they'd played for whatever. Um, the drummer was the new boy. He said to me, I've played only 900 gigs. <laughs> Nine... It's a bit like Ronnie Wood in The Stones is the new boy. Yeah. I've played 900 gigs. Uh, and so that... Once you've got, once you can look at musos on stage who've played well nine hundred or beyond yeah. gigs and played and played and played and played and played, they know each other inside out. They know oh, yeah. the nuance, not just of the songs, but they know they are predicting what other players are going to do. They're predicting it, and so it stays live. I mean, it's all not it's not mind reading, but you can tell from body language, you can tell from hearing it where someone's going to go when you that in tune with them. Yeah, and that I mean th- that's the thing is like if you're a live performer, I mean a Play live, you know. Yeah. The, the recorded, you know, okay, Steve's album is great and, and, and I enjoy putting it on in the uh, the four-wheel drive ute yeah. when I'm in Tarleton Town. But I will, uh, this tonight will be better. Yeah. Because it's live. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's certain bands that are made for that live experience and anything they try and do the studio is just going to be, to some extent, an imitation of that. And there also might even be a case of trying to go a little bit further in a different direction, saying, well, I know I can't document on the record what I sound like live, so let's do, let's do something slightly yeah. different. Cultures, cultures or like great records, incredible, you know, Australian legends. But uh, I saw them live in the 80s. Uh, they are a live band, you know. That oh, is where yeah. they're, that's where the essence of the band is. And you can try and capture it on, a, on an album and you might get some of it. Um, but but if, if you're not in the room with the, I don't know, the, what is it, the, the pheromones coming off the band... Yeah. Oh, look, I, just in case nobody ever picks Cold Chisel as a splitting cases topic, um, <laughs> the lack of an intro to You Got Nothing I Want, the fact it's just like, boom. Into that, I, I've never seen Cold Chisel live and I've never seen Barnsley live, but I've always kind of wanted to hear that song because there's something about like the lack of an intro to band, that song. Band it feels like a most shot in regret. the head. It's like band that you most regret that you never got to see live. My band that I regret that I never got to see live simply because of my generation and I found the records and then saw them live at a recording at the Marriottville Hotel mm. in Adelaide is Radio Birdman. Now, if I had, uh, you know, I love those albums. Yeah. And in fact, I actually. 
am buying a vinyl copy because I know I saw one today <laughs> of radios appear, um, and uh, but never saw them live and yeah. regret it. Like I would have loved to seen Dennis Tech sing live, Rob Younger sing live. You know, Dennis Tech play guitar. You know, I would have loved to have seen that band live because I think that's yeah. where the essence of what they were yeah. came across. Uh, Midnight Oil, who I saw at the peak of their powers, and I say the peak of their powers. You know, I like your early stuff better than your old. <laughs> yeah. I like your new stuff better than your old stuff. Or but Midnight Oil, it, it, circa 1982, 81. Like the first time I ever saw Midnight Oil was at the Tivoli Hotel in Adelaide, maybe 1981, two, maybe 300 people in the room. Mm. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, the O-Ball of the Adelaide Uni a couple of years later. Unbelievable. Like secret ticket uh, yeah. shows that I managed to get because I just we just used to follow them around. We'd get cabs and we'd follow them. If they came to Adelaide, we'd go and see every gig they played, every single gig they played. They were unbelievable. And then by later on, when I was seeing them around 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 2, 3, 2, 1. Uh, you know, you, 10 to 1. Yeah, 10 to 1. <laughs> uh, you're seeing them in front of 10,000 people. Yeah. And... They were great, and they were more stadium, and they were successful. You want them to yeah, be yeah, successful. Yeah, of course you do. But, the, but yeah, but that, that band live, unbelievable early on. The best band I've seen, I think, live, apart from dot, dot, dot. But I think that's why that's why a lot of people are like, oh, my favourite band's successful, I don't like them anymore because they're playing to 10,000 people, blah, 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 because there's something about a band at the peak of their early success, right as they're about to make it, where they're as tight as they're ever fucking going to be, as excited about their craft, their music, their career as they're ever going to be, and you're seeing them to a small amount of people. I think it's just that everybody wants to to have the uh, you know the best kept secret. Everyone wants that story <laughs> where you can be like, yeah, I, I went to see this band <laughs> when they were playing to thirty people at this pub. Everyone wants that story. I saw and Simple it's... Minds play uh, in support of Ice House. There you go, in Adelaide, you know, bands. But, yeah, I saw in excess support mental as anything. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but I think that Midnight All at that time, you know, you can see why the band became internationally successful because... The, the, the what was going on on stage live, the band playing together live, is still better than anything you can relive on anything they've ever recorded. Sorry, Pete Garrett, sorry, everybody, but I'm sorry, but just live... Is where it's at. I'm sure he wouldn't have too much to argue about that because he was there. He played the fucking show. He would have heard it, you know. I taped the Goat Island Triple J show off the television with a cassette player. <laughs> this is my era, yeah. chaps. I actually did do that in the, uh, the mid '90s, uh, so I've been yeah. there. I still have a Triple J uh, live on Goat Island tri- Midnight Oil cassette somewhere that's probably you know rotting somewhere in some dark corner. Well, cassettes are back in now. It's uh, the new vinyl. I saw last year at one Adelaide. I saw a guy, and I really wish I could remember his name. Mm. Um, and so I do the stage, which also has all the DJs on. Mm. So Mad Professor and these sorts of guys come and play yeah. and Crush, who like, I had to kiss on the head because he's so awesome. <laughs> um, but I saw a guy, and I wish I could remember his name, who DJed off cassette. I don't even know how uh, that's you, possible. You, well, it's extraordinary. And he, and he whines, like he, he, he fast-forwards and, and clicks tapes through. He doesn't just have everything set, I'm going to play this one, I'm going to play this. He's actually DJing with two cassette decks. And he, had, he was a New Yorker who'd gone oh, to really? Africa... 
who'd found that the principal form of music for boom for Africans was in fact cassette because it was the delivery yeah. everyone yeah. had a boombox and he collected and collected and kept going back to Africa and going through all different African nations and collecting up cassette tapes of bands and there were some tape and I said well how do you do it and and I said well don't they stretch and and he said yeah there's some that I don't I can't play anymore or I'll only play once in a while because I know that they're close to kind of you know the the stretch and the woof on them is going to be too yeah, much and yeah. whatever. But yeah, seeing a guy DJ on cassette, it can be done. I, I would I, like I, to see someone. Do I couldn't that. even call that like a DJ or a musician. I have to call that like a puzzle master. You know, it's like <laughs> cracking a fucking code. Yeah, How do we'll you do that. Yeah, well, totally. Especially if you're like, okay, I've only got, I reckon, four more good plays left of this cassette. How am I going to put that in? That sort of ups the pressure a little bit yeah. to go, right, what am I going to do tonight? Yeah. And then there's, like, fucking future music festival DJs who are just hitting play on a laptop compared to that. Holy shit. I'm yeah. pretty sure with some of the crowd at that festival, you could probably just play whatever, and they're probably going to be happy. Yeah. Is, I don't want to make generalisations. Is DJing but... live music? Dot. Come on, boys. Is DJing live music? Well, I think what you described is easily live that's, music. That's performance. That's, that I is feel per- like okay. there's a skill in that. Wait, though. Distinguish live music from performance. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's... Yeah. yeah. That's probably a hard decision and different <laughs> yeah, to make. Right, I'm going to say that's the distinction. That's the distinction. I'm, I'm going to say it's that there's skill music, involved it's... either way, so you can't really detract from it, but performance the up. way I look at live DJ performance is, is no, I would up. not consider it live performance. Okay, I can't play... Well, okay, I can play an instrument. But I'm. Uh, it has four strings and it's small, and most people would regard it as dunga, 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 dunga. Hold uh, on, hold on. He arrived in my house five minutes later he picked up my little ukulele um and tuned it because my six-year-old niece had been playing it last and um started playing it like he's he's got some music talent <laughs> except that i had friends who were musicians and i sang in rock bands when i was a teenager and i was the you know and i always dreamed of being able to play if i came back on earth you know the the classic question what would you do if you came back on earth two things one speak multiple languages don't be mono <laughs> don't be monolingual and two be able to play a guitar and a piano. They are the two things. You can sit down anywhere in the world and play mm. a guitar and a piano. And if I had that skill, and I think that's why I've always loved going to see musicians because I am in awe of them. I've played a lot of music on the radio. Yeah. I've been a huge music collector, but I can't do it. And when you see people play live and capture an audience by playing, pushing those fingers up and down those strings uh, or hitting those chords on a, you know, a, a piano mm. or whatever, that to me is that's I, I'm in awe of it I wish I could do it well I think that's the perfect time to rewind go back into why we've even chosen this topic you know first live band group artists you ever saw and why you went and saw them um, well I mean I grew up in a family a very quite strict religious family who were also Amateur theatre people. Amateur theatre people. My mum sang opera, my dad did a bit of acting and lighting design and that sort of stuff, and I got into performance that way. Yeah. And they were a very small record collection, Mm. but they took us as kids, and I grew up in country South Australia, to see... Music and music and music. So they, the, the Adelaide Symphony Orchestra would play, you know, you, you, you're 10, you're thinking, why are you doing this to me? Um, <laughs> and they would take us to jazz concerts, they would take us to see live music, and I think that's somewhere where I got the uh, love for it. Now, I, can remember, um, I can remember in Mount Gambier going to see 
um, a Calypso uh, steel drum band come, you know, they were on a you know, regional tour of Australia. Mm. And being amazed, well, this is awesome. You know, we went and bought the record and, we, we you know, all that sort of yeah. thing. So, but the first band, my, and whenever I'm asked this question, the first live band you ever saw, uh, Skyhooks. Skyhooks. King's wow. Theatre, Mount Gambia, uh, sat on the lip of the stage at the matinee, which I think was a six o'clock concert where in those days you could smoke and all sorts yeah, of yeah, yeah. I would have been 12 or 13, something. What point in Skyhooks career? Uh, just, uh, ego is not a dirty word, had just mm. come out. So okay. uh, living in the 70s was huge, so horror yep. movie and all those sorts of things yep. were on the television. Uh, countdown generation so was that your choice that you wanted to go that was absolutely. the band you wanted to go see you were like yep I'm going absolutely there was the uh, the girls who liked the Ted Mulry gang and yep. there were the boys who liked Skyhooks and that was when there was a live music touring scene in Australia mm. I think it's come back a little bit but that 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 classic beginnings of what became Oz Rock yeah so in my country town I saw uh, the Angels Cold Chisel uh, the Swingers yeah uh, you, you know those uh, I saw ACDC yeah uh, you, you know, those bands were playing regional tours and as I say there's nothing like an atmosphere of a room full of people yeah in countries that's right, or wherever in Newcastle, as it can do, that are charged up, and they're charged up because they're seeing, they want to see something live. They know yeah. the music, and they want you to do it for them. Yeah, it's uh, and so yeah, so Skyhooks, the first band I ever saw play live as a rock and roll band. Moose. I can't remember quite what yours is, but I think it's better than mine. Um, I went with my sister to see the. You know, like, the whole pop stars phenomenon that became a thing, like, you put together a manufactured boy or girl group. Uh, my sister went to see True Bliss, the New Zealand one, which I think was the first one, and I went with her. But the first gig that I went to see was about six months after that. I think it was 13, and I went to see a New Zealand band called Zed, who I still really like. And then I went to the 2001 Big Day Out a couple Not months Fisher's after Zed that. for so long. No, no. Zed was sort of like a pop rock type. Yeah, Zed yeah, was yeah. sort of like a pop rock group, but they yeah. were really good live. And seriously, like, I lived in... Uh, small town in New Zealand, less than half the size of Newcastle, and there was not a lot. Like, um, it was not any kind of touring music scene. You'd occasionally get maybe once every six months a band playing. So to see Zed there was amazing, and then I went to see The Big Day Out the next day, which was just... <laughs> just the icing on the cake? It was. Yeah. A, it, I, I don't know what I thought of that. Like, that was Hit just the candy shop. insane. <laughs> Uh, first, first big day out, uh, Adelaide, uh, Adelaide before it was put out into uh, like the showgrounds, it was at the Adelaide Uni, yeah. um, 41 degrees on the day, oh, eventually they put out a fire truck where we just stood under a fire truck that just sprayed us with water. On the bill that day, uh, in one day I saw Iggy Pop, Nick Cave, Disposable Heroes of Hip Hopracy, The Beasts of Bourbon, Sonic Youth, yeah, Beasts. Oh, well, how could you not love the yeah. Beasts of Bourbon? God damn Chase right. the Dragon. <laughs> uh, last, actually, no, not last year. The year before now, I actually went to um, the three shows 
that the Beast did at the factory in Sydney where it was like each different incarnation of the band. So it was kind of like the original Axeman Jazz Sour Mash lineup and then there was the Low Road lineup and then the sort of post that. So it was sort of like each stage of the band, different sets each night. It was brilliant. Yeah. Comparatively, my first big doubt I think was uh, Killing Heidi... Coldplay on at two in the afternoon just after their first album come. There was like fucking fifteen people for Coldplay. Um, the Resin Dogs, who I still maintain, have a couple of good albums in them. Um, PJ Harvey, who was all right, it's just really good. Um, and then like Rammstein and Limp Bizkit. Coincidentally, um, mine was in two thousand six. I didn't go to the Big Day Out for quite a few years, but um, the Beasts actually played that year, and hey. that was where I saw them for the first time and just fell in love and was like why the fuck haven't I heard this before <laughs> like I'd heard The Cruel Sea but had never heard The Beast I was like this is amazing they internationally huge why yeah. haven't they sold yeah. 80 billion records yeah and I was Could like oh my god huge. and they were their takeaway for the day for me and I saw you know the White Stripes and a bunch of other bands that day and I was like nah they owned it and I'm pretty sure even Iggy and played that um, that year as He's well a few times, with yeah. the sort of reform stooges it was before um, before Ron Ashton died so it was, you know, amazing to see that as well. I was like, wow, so I've seen the Beasts and the Stooges in the same day. It's uh, pretty incredible. Yeah. But but the other thing, as I say, like from when I grew up and um, was forced to go to um, orchestral concerts and, you know, forced to play violin, which I was terrible at, and, you know, there was a real a love no of the classics. And I didn't really pay any attention to that, but... I have, I, I, I make no apology, have forced classical music and jazz down the throat of my son as he's grown to be 15 years old um, because what happened to me was that when I was mid-20s and then into my 30s, I suddenly just, it just all started yeah. to read to me. and I, It you know, sinks in, dude. It's you insane. see the Sydney Symphony, you go and see them play Mahler or you go and see... And the love I have, really, for classical music, and this is another of my favourite, favourite, favourite live performance issues, is a piano recital. One person against the keyboard playing something that somebody wrote 300 years ago which is almost unplayable like that to me is extraordinary stuff and mm. to watch the interpretation to feel the interpretation as you go you get to know oh you know like I'm not that great like I'm no I'm no aficionado but uh, you can feel oh, I've heard this before and they played it a little bit faster or they played this or yeah. they they did this section a little bit differently or they've interpreted this as being part of the the score that they should be you know it's a you kind of read that but to see someone wrestle with a with an instrument like a grand piano single-handedly you know off the top of their head no music in front of them mm. i mean that's just to me that is that's genius so I, th I think there's like my theory at the moment is that there's something about being exposed to things you may not necessarily like and may not necessarily like doing and being forced to learn a musical instrument that makes you realize how fucking hard it is to do that that gives you an, an almost an awe of people who can that makes you really appreciate live music i think that if you have had to do it before you can understand you know people who can go through a lot to be that good yeah for me I cannot really play an instrument <laughs> to any um, level of skill, but I know enough to sort of go, okay, like I get what's required here. 
and I appreciate what's going on. And I'm kind of glad that I don't know how to play that well because I don't know if I want all the smoke and mirrors taken away. Like, I don't know if I want to get to the point where I go, oh, I see what's going on there. That was a bit of a cheap trick. I don't know if I want that level of detail. I kind of just want to enjoy it for what it is. When you see the, when you see the flow of what is going on in someone's mind mm. and then what they're able to achieve physically on the fretboard or the keyboard or the sax or whatever, when you, when you see the, the, the match between what is the creative sense of the human mind put into a physical expression it is a physical thing to be able to play a mm. musical instrument when you see those two things join up that somebody can play fast or somebody can play with total emotion or somebody can play with uh, i don't know rhythm you know like a malcolm young who's just like yeah. bang 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 that that is the band that is acdc malcolm young mm. i'm sad to say but uh, you know that's yeah. um but the, the, when you see those things when you see that match of what the human creative mind is and the physical capability to actually express it yeah that is great musicianship and i would you know and i would go anywhere in the and all across the world i've always gone and it, it might be a little local bar it might be a big gig it might be something and you're always going to find something where you're just like that is unbelievable that is what they are doing absolutely that blows me away mm. i think the thing with um sort of classical especially orchestral is that it's almost the same as a great live rock band it's not what you're hearing as much as it's also what you're feeling and being in front of an orchestra i don't think enough people have experienced like it's almost okay so music is almost is, is vibrations in the air from a physical thing and you're feeling it you are honestly feeling 200 people sitting there on stage vibrating in the air it's about what you're hearing it's about what you're feeling but it's like a rock band. You can feel those speaker stacks blasting out at you. It's a physical thing. There's only a certain amount of chords in the world. Yeah. And they can only be arranged in a certain set of ways. And certain bands can arrange those minimal amount of chords in the perfect way. Or not necessarily even arrange them. They can be almost in the same set of chords. Yeah. But the, what they bring to it, the emotion that comes through, that pushes out to you from the front of the stage is yeah. is something that delineates between, oh, that was an okay band, I enjoyed that, or they were awesome. Well, anyone who's listened to this podcast before knows that Pointy and I are a huge fan of uh, Tim Rogers and UMI. And it's I was, like... I was waiting for at what point this was going to be brought up. <laughs> it always does. I think that, I was, that's I the like, common... It was almost a competition uh, between the both of us, which you had no idea was a competition, about I wanted to win by not bringing it up. <laughs> pitting us against each other already. But, okay, that guy, Tim Rogers, has always argued that he's not a great singer. And, you know, I'll agree. Classic sense of singer. He's not really a great singer, but it's that emotion. And there's certain albums of his solo back catalogue where he's stretching the limits of his voice and he's really pushing up into these notes he can't quite reach, but it's the cracking of his voice that makes the song. And he's funny as anything. He, oh, yeah, he's fucking uh, hilarious. It's back to your point before about you having someone who loves the performance as opposed to just getting up there staring at the ground. Uh, last time I saw Tim Rogers, Railway Club, Darwin, small, if people know them, they probably know this, it's a, it holds about 200 people, not a great front of house sound, but it's, like, it's just that... Uh, but Tim <laughs> Rogers, uh, fairly... 
uh, a, a little bit, had a little bit of medicine before he obviously uh, got yeah. on the show. Shot people down uh, fairly eloquently. He, <laughs> he, he did a bit of medicine and then decided to take a fair bit of medicine during the show as well, including while playing, going to the bar to order beers, while playing on the bars. Oh, so, I yeah, wish I was yeah, a yeah, yeah, Very, very funny. Very, very funny. Uh, went the next night. Wasn't quite as loose. Uh, and I would suggest not quite as good. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. It's like a live show. It's that once element of danger. You're not yeah. sure what's going to happen. Yeah, unpredictability. And, and it's only once. It's the uh, it's the theatre of it. It's the it, when you put on a bigger record, a favourite record of whatever record you mean. You know it. You and if you love it, you've played it. From my point of view, you know, you've probably played the same record for 30, 40 years, and you know the nuance of it, and you know where the beats are, and you know when that guy does that, and when the, you know, when the hi hat rings, and when the first chords are struck. But live, you, it's always going to sway and move, and it's going to sway and move because of the artist and the audience, the, the yeah. two things together. The audience are going to push it in a way that may not be the where the artist thought it was going, and so a great artist will sway with the audience. Some artists will come on and do exactly what they're going to do every single show, but it's still... Uh, it's still not exactly the same. I don't yeah. think that, you know, that I'm going to play. You know, that if you've been on tour and you've seen somebody, say like the Red Hot Chili Peppers or whatever, you know, you know pretty much they're going to do exactly what they did uh, two days ago in Melbourne, and then you're going to see them do it two days later in Sydney and whatever. But there's still an ebb and flow into the live aspect of it. Yeah, and I think live records are a sort of a thing that aren't a thing anymore but growing up for me that was sort of my first exposure to live music because you're not old enough to go to gigs yet yeah but that was a a very important thing like probably more important even before our time but uh for me in the 90s it was kind of like some of the live records that the pumpkins brought out and they smashing pumpkins were a band that they had their album sound but when you went to see them live you don't know what Mm. you're going to get and to, that was okay. that comes back to that dangerous thing for me, and that's what one of the things that got me into live music was like, wow, you need to go to these shows because you could see something totally different to what you used to. Favorite live album? Oh, come on, favorite live album? Well, from we, rock we, and roll history. Let's just say from rock and roll history. Ah, uh, well, get your yahyas out. It's oh, got to yeah, be up there. That's yeah, a classic. Yeah, um, live at Leeds is is definitely yeah, up there. So, the, so, the, so these are the. The typical classic answers, I guess. Mine's too sentimental. It's um, the Shehard Pacifier live record. Oh, really? Because in 2001, I think, they released uh, the Pacifier album as Shehard, and it was. They went to America, they made a record under a new name because of everything that happened with September 11, and it was kind of, you know, corporate radio rocky. It was all right, it still had the songs, it still had the personality, but it didn't have the energy. And they released this live album, I bought it on CD, and two days later I went to um, went to see them live, and the live album was fucking ten times better than the last album they brought out and the live show was fucking ten times better than the live album and then I got home and I would have been 16 or something and I'd my parents had got the mail that day and I'd won a live vinyl of that album and I was like fuck! The stars aligned. Okay and I can't tell you how many times I've listened to that album but it's just something about a band that were almost proving something yeah. to themselves and to their fans of hold on, we got sucked into this machine and we became this themselves. Yeah, yeah. But they we, they were fucking tight and it was so 
Oh, it was yeah. awesome. I, um, well, I mean, there's a great Keith Jarrop album, which is recorded live. Mm. But um, funnily enough, it's a record that I've gone back to only in the last year or so, which I, once again, like when I was in high school, I think I got on, on cassette. And I can remember in art class, we were allowed to put on music and, you know, it, so and so got chosen, and this I is have the hilarious story. About that, but this, we'll this get to is that. <laughs> this is, also I quite like the art teacher. She was very. <laughs> where are you, and why didn't you marry me? Um, uh, <laughs> uh, to be quite honest, I think just Pointy and I alone could have a "Where are you, and why didn't you marry me?" podcast. Um, and so I took this cassette, and I and I eventually remembered the album and went back to it. Um, what have you lost? The beer? Was bottle opener? Bottle uh-huh. opener. Uh-huh. There. Sorry. Did they, did they twist tops? Oh, oh no, 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 that's not. Um, and it's uh, Leonard Skinner's double album, One More From The Road. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. If you want to hear uh, Working For MCA or a f- unbelievably beautiful version of Freebird. Okay. Um, it's sort of just before they crashed the plane yeah. and they were gone and so you've got this fantastic, beautiful, big crowd, crowd playing in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, you know, welcome to Atlanta, Georgia. And, and you know, talking about Neil Young and whatever. And that record for me is still one of the great live records because mm. whether or not you like Southern Boogie Boogie music or whatever, which where I grew up was sort of the music that you got, um, um, in the pubs and whatever, and, and everybody knows Sweet Home Alabama, and you go, please, please play something different. Um, the, the, one more from the road, get it out. It's uh, the, the seven years of hard luck. I just love the the way that Ronnie Van Zant yeah. sings and the way the band, f- and you can hear the crowd going, and it's just that perfect mix of what's coming off the front of house versus, you know, the, whatever the touring, uh, you know, the big mobile recording thing got from the crowd, and you mm. can just hear the crowd just going nuts because they're in hometown. They've made it big in America. They're back down in the South and a great live album. What do you think the appeal of a good live album is? Because to a consumer, regardless of where you are, you're getting a record, you're hearing a thing. You're emotionally connected to that. What's the the reasoning for a good live album? Hmm. Good question. I, I, I... It's 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 a it's a, pa- it's a pastiche of what you're li- ever going to get live. I guess you kind of get vicariously you get to go to the concert that you didn't go to, mm. and you hope that they got the good front of house sound while they did it. Yeah. Um, there's a great uh, twelve inch that Midnight Oil released where they there's a second side of it which does a you hear them do a live version of Stand in Line and that makes mm. me think that that's the band that I went to see. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, like that, that thing where you go and listen to the concert of Bangladesh and, you know, oh, Ravi yeah. Shankar says, you know, please stop smoking and yeah. <laughs> all yeah. that sort of stuff, you know. It's like actually being there. Yeah. Yeah, well, for me, at first for me it was kind of like, oh, there's like, I can hear dialogue in between these songs. Yeah. I can get an idea of what the personality of the band is like because often it was bands that, you know, you weren't going to see. I mean, by the time I'd gotten old enough to sort of be into Nirvana Nirvana was over mm. so hearing live stuff from Nirvana was L- a bit of a revelation L- L- Wishka album? yeah but also um, MTV Unplugged yeah, as well MTV Unplugged that was late 90s that was a huge album yeah I mean I the MTV Unplugged thing the MTV Unplugged yeah you know he's do you really want to hear Eric Clapton's version of Tears in Heaven that version rather than the 
the version. Do you version. want to hear Layla without that four minute? Do you want to? Do you want to hear that outro? Where's the lead break? Uh, <laughs> I you know, can do just you really hear that outro. Do you, yeah. I mean, I love. I mean, I, I agree. The Nirvana MTV one is just a brilliant thing, and and you can put it on the radio more easily for you know the easy listening stations. Um, but <laughs> um, yeah, it's like rock. That's not rock. I don't know that. I don't know whether that helped live music or not. Well, <laughs> I think it, I think it was a unique thing to do at the time was kind of like okay well this is not something people would expect from those Seattle bands so let's show that these guys are actually songwriters in their own regard I think to me that's the way I interpreted it A it's a mixed bag I'm pretty sure Mariah Carey did an MTV Unplugged album so you know you've got to take it on the band not the not the then general Oasis series Oasis did do it as well um, but Liam and Noel had this massive fight and Excellent. Liam perf- uh, refused to perform <laughs> so Noel had to sing all the songs and Liam like stood up st- like up in a balcony somewhere heckling the band as they played Oh, like I feel like that's a perfect Oasis story. Yeah, that fucking is. Um, but I think the the whole thing with MTV, MTV Unplugged, you're bringing the live experience into the home, all the way up to torrenting and downloading. You know, microwave fucking What's pop. That? Oh, I wonder. Microwave fucking popcorn. You know, you bring the thing that you can normally get outside of your home into your home so you don't have to leave your home, therefore killing yeah. the thing that's but outside I, but of your I at home. least feel like it was a different thing. Like, what you were getting from that is not what you're getting from the live show. Oh, agreed. So. And seriously, if I go to the movies, I'll stuff my face with a popcorn that I'll regret later. But my God, it's never as good for the microwave. Uh, the, and the, the, the discussion about whether you wait for, for a band to come, you know, the, the, the joy when I first got to see Billy Bragg play live, mm. that I'd imported his records, I'd kind of picked them up on, there used to be a show on ABC TV years ago called Rock Arena, right. and I kind of found this guy, and I was like, wow, that's awesome, can I get his records? And I went to my local record store, I'd buy records every week, and they say, no, but you have to import them, so you import them to Australia, so I got, you know, Life's a Riot and Spy Be Spy and Brewing Up and all these things, and when he actually came to play, I was almost beside myself, beside, Billy's here, awesome. The more you build the anticipation... It's kind of like a um, hunter-gatherer type thing I used to find like as a kid because like, oh, I've read about this record, I need to find it. And you actually had to make an effort to go find that and that sort of made it more special, whereas now it's kind of very easy to just, oh, I can jump on Spotify and listen to the entire history of recorded music with really no effort whatsoever. Mm. That's the thing with with the effort of finding it and almost it, it's, it's like... What what's the line in high fidelity? It's like fetish property. I I'd be sad for them if I wasn't one of them. You know, like you you can get absolutely anything, and it's B sides, and it's fucking live version, and it's rarity for free online if you know where to look. And it's it takes the fun and the effort out of it. And therefore, if you can get what you want like that, why do you need to make, put out the effort to leave the fucking house and go see the band live? I think people almost kids. forget. Well, kids, can't. listen to your Uncle Margot just for a moment. <laughs> Pay for music. Yep. Pay to the ticket to go and see the artist. Pay for your downloads. Pay for your music. For artists. once, order something in <laughs> from a record store. It's not free, all right? They need to live. They don't live that well. They're awesome. Pay for music. People are like, oh, what do you use those for? You can, you know you can get that for free. Yes, I know I can get it for free. I refuse to get it for free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, I have um, bought... I mean, I'm sure as Moose can attest to, a hell of a lot of music um, and been to many, many shows. We are sort but of the we're sort of the last 
you're only about six months older than us. We're the sort of last <laughs> generation of kids that know what it is like to only have the fucking opportunity to search something out, order it in, not know about an artist until they fucking tour or do an interview, you know, like, uh, to have any idea of mystery. Yeah, but what I was going to say is um, I did find for a couple of years I did stop buying music. I still went to a fuckload of shows, but I stopped buying music because I moved because I moved from Newcastle to Sydney, Yeah, so I didn't have as much space. So I left all my CDs in Newcastle, and I was like, okay, well, I'm still going to go to heaps of gigs. I'm just going to download this stuff. And then so I made this New Year's resolution at the end of 2013 where I was not going to do that. And I'm proud to say that I did not download any music in 2014, nor do I intend to do so this year. You can download um, it as long as you pay for it. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, but like I was not paying for it. Now I, I mean, I was still buying albums that I loved, but, but also, there was some on, stuff that I, I was downloading buy, that I wasn't back. sure on. I've gone back. I, I, you know, I've got massive amount of music on my hard drive or whatever, but uh, about a year or two years ago, I think it was when the Black Keys, so when El Camino came out, and mm. I downloaded it. And then I went to uh, the unnamed yellow store with uh, two letters in it uh, to buy <laughs> some albums. <laughs> and, and I saw it there. And I was looking at it and I was like, that's actually $2 cheaper than I paid to download it. And I get the CD and I, and I own can, it. And I can read you it to the computer it, if I want that. You own it and you have a physical that. thing and you can read through the fucking booklet and, and find you, out who played on it. You can read the cover notes. You can get the artwork. You can share it with somebody if you like because you paid for it. Uh, and it's not in the cloud. It's at your house. <laughs> yeah. I'm old school. I like it. I like to oh, look at on. it and pull it off the shelf. I'm a CD person. There's a lot of vinyl revivalism going on and I do have a few vinyl finals I have bought in the last few years and that like especially by the way speaking of live records the new UMI live electrified box set which is the live um the live concert on DVD vinyl download of the hourly daily double tour that we went to see in Sydney the exact that's like a fucking souvenir for well, the thing the you went to we see went to, and now we've got it but yeah. and I went to that show I saw that show the um, two albums at yeah. the Darwin Festival at yeah. the Darwin uh, Amphitheatre in the fucking Amphitheatre it's a big grass <laughs> you just you fucking rock up and it's mud and it's grass and it's bars and it's awesome by the way which is where I saw um, Tex from Beasts do his uh, Johnny, Johnny Cash, Cash show, show. Yeah. And I still have a wonderful recording in the studio of Tex Perkins coming in uh, to the studio when I was doing a Sunday morning show, and he did a version live to air of Sunday Morning Coming Down, the mm, Johnny nice. Cash song. It was like, what, what better song? About? And I still, you know, sorry, Tex, I did get that for free. Is it Johnny Cash <laughs> or is that Chris Christopherson? Oh, actually, good question. Uh, good question. Well, it was in the Johnny Cash show, so I'm right. presuming it's the Johnny Cash song. Yeah, right? I always thought it was Sunday morning. Song. Sunday morning coming down. Well, okay, I know it's on the self-titled Christopherson album. But Geeks, maybe... call now. But... <laughs> <laughs> Log on now and tell us whether or not it was Chris. Because no, that would be well. He was here to do a Johnny Cash show, and I'm presuming he was okay. doing Johnny Cash songs. I don't know, but yeah, uh, but yeah I know there was that... very little like Sia, or uh, there was not very much uh, you know uh, pseudo echo being played at the time, uh, so I figure that it was mostly Johnny Cash. <laughs> I had a point to make, but I can't remember what it was anymore. Oh, well, see, that's, as we've discussed before, an occupational hazard of the style of this show. I got distracted from my point with UMI, and that's the problem. Okay. And have we actually stuck on the topic? I think we've moved from what live music is. And no, I think good. we're talking I... about generally what live music is. I think we're in the realms 
Yeah, like the acceptable. I'm not sure what the parameters are. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's described any. Nobody told me anything about arriving. That's just, pretty. They just that's... poured beer down my throat and said, "Mic on." That's pretty much <laughs> a the experience of this podcast and b the experience of going to see a band live. Mm. Um, because I like that you know you're you've got those six months on us and you still love to go see live music. Because I know a lot of guys even around my age that kind of go, oh, "I don't want to go out anymore and do these things." I'm like, "Well, why?" Because it's an awesome fucking experience. It still feels to me. A good band still feels to me like when my parents drove me from Whangarei in New Zealand to Auckland to go see a New Zealand rock band called the Datsuns, and they played in like a community theatre hall type place, and it was pretty much just these five long-haired guys playing Zeppelin style with strobe lights, and I had the fucking time of my life. Sounds like the uh, tumbleweed. Yeah, it's like like seeing tumbleweed. Oh my god, yeah. Scary. (laughs) Well, you kind of lucked out because uh, what was going on in Newcastle about that time for free gigs was, um, or underage gigs, was at the Palais um, before it was torn down and the PCYC at Broadmeadow, but it was mostly new metal stuff. And um, I did go to quite a Super Heist, yes, and uh, Butterfly Effect and. Let's Sick into, puppies. Let's get into let's get into live music and train wreck shows that you've been to see. Okay, Newcastle, uh, circa. Ah. Well, I was still living here, so 1993. Pantera play the Newcastle Entertainment Centre. I arrive in a white T-shirt. First thing I do is go, wow, kids, I'm going straight to the merch tent (laughs) and I think I bought a uh, Powderfinger T-shirt in black. Uh, Put that over my white T-shirt so I did sort of blend it in. Um... Because Powderfinger was supporting? No, no, just I don't know. I can't remember. No, hold remember. on. Powderfinger and Powderfinger... Silverchair were both there, weren't they? No, but that's we're, we're pre-Silverchair, I reckon. Really? Mm, because yeah. I'm pretty sure Powderfinger Maybe. were definitely on the bill with um, Pantera, but I think Silverchair were around... They were you playing around that Margo time. I had a little bit of medicine, so the, you know, the details are a little bit <laughs> sketchy. A bit sketchy. A, little bit, a little bit sketchy. You're not the first person to tell me a story from that show. Okay, like best a lot story. Of Newcastle people went to that show and remember it like it was yesterday. You know why they remember it? Two reasons why they remember it. In the middle of the show, uh, there's a, a diamondy Dave going, Yeah, fucking A, Newcastle, all right, fucking A. And then somebody has brought a, like an under six month old baby to the concert <laughs> for a sacrifice and so holding it up like, I was like wow would you really do that well I guess I'd uh, like to hope that kid's still alive if you're listening the car park now. was just a sea of bourbon bottles empty bourbon bottles before you walk in you know like kicking kicking and everybody walks in yeah best reason that I remember that show train wreck show how to ruin your own show they're like yeah fucking Newcastle alright and they bring on a trolley which has got plastic cups of beer and so they start hurling plastic cups of beer into the crowd i'm sitting directly behind the sound desk and one of them you know you you hook your finger in and the weight carries it i'm not sure i I think it was the guitarist throws this beer out and i can literally remember it coming right (laughs) towards me right towards me right over arcing arcing and you can see the sound guy going oh fuck oh fuck oh fuck and right into the centre of the desk within 30 seconds 
whole front of house sound system out. Oh, oh we're going to take a break. You've got like, I don't know, what is the new car? 6,000 people on bourbon going, what the fuck? You know, oh. like, when is this? And they had to stop and they had to reset the sound system. And it was yeah, just. And like, they're not the sort of band that can like try and do some acoustic sound. <laughs> no, okay. yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll make we'll this do up some a cappella. Yeah. We'll do oh some a cappella. <laughs> yeah, classic. Uh, how to destroy your own concert. <laughs> uh, train wreck shows or just bad shows? Oh, look, I. I don't know, I can't... My memory's like a sieve anyway, but I can't remember a lot of fucking terrible shows. I went to see Courtney Love last year. By the way, Courtney Love 2014, don't mix. Um, she arrived to, like, a quarter-filled Panthers in Newcastle. This, I'm like, it's it's around the same area that Pantera played, around probably the same size. Crowd Crush thing, Hole at the Big Day Out, like a bad Crowd Crush when really? Hole came on, when they were, like, right at the peak of when she was, like, the it. I don't think she had any pants on. Let me just say, she was not it, and she did have pants on. Um, and, yeah, she came on stage, and she was less than impressed about the fact there was about a quarter fill, and she spent the entire time bad-mouthing the crowd and bad-mouthing Newcastle and playing. I feel Lost that's counterproductive. It's like these are the people that actually yeah. wanted to come see you. Uh, Lost Lobos, the first time Lost Lobos ever Lost came. Lost Lobos, from. like... Uh, la, la, like la, East la, LA kind of Chicano music. They had a great first album. La, 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 la. Uh, yeah, well, they did. Everyone remembers La Bamba, but you, you can forgive them for that. Um, <laughs> but they did. That's all I got for you. Baby, great. It's fun. Don't what, worry. like the Beach Boys? No, no, no. There's a track called Los Lobos. Don't worry, baby. I was into Los Lobos. Here's my here's my knowledge of, of Los Lobos. <laughs> yeah. uh, went to see them, and they were kind of a little bit hip and happening. Uh, turned up, and we were like, we knew the records, and we're like, yeah, we're always going to see live music. Okay, let's go and see Los Lobos. This is going to be awesome. Like about nine people in the room, and they just bagged us all night. You know, God, you know, when we're in LA, we do this, this. It's like, oh, yeah, but... You're not! You're, you're obviously not. You're actually at the old line in Adelaide and there's us, so get on with it. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, look, you know, never really got over that and never really listened to much Lost Lobos after that. Seriously, if you if you badmouth your crowd, no matter how many of them are there, whether you're badmouthing the one person who came to see you or the fucking 10,000, they're going to remember it. Screaming Jay Hawkins, same thing. Like, went to see Screaming Jay Hawkins, had, like, I don't know, 40 people in the room, just did it like he was in a stadium. Uh, just like as there were 10,000 people he there. He put a spell on you? Didn't he put a... I put a spell on you. Uh, I love well, Paris. His version of I love Paris. I love Paris in the springtime. Uh, that's a professional. You have an act to do. You have a band. You have a show. No matter how many fucking people are there to see you, you're still on stage and getting paid to do it, so do it. And he was in his 70s or something like that. He was he was old. That's why he appreciated it. I also it. said James Brown at the uh, Sydney Entertainment Centre. Yeah, and yeah. when he was, I don't know, old... Uh, 70 something I would have thought uh, you know post PCP experiences um, and um, you could see the sh- it, it was great you could see in you know you, you wanted to see him in 1965 or 67 you know, obviously but my era. physically not possible and so you go and see him, they still bring him out, you know, the Godfather of Soul, and they put the coke on him and whatever. And inside him, you could see 
you could see James Brown 1965. Still, yeah. you could see him, and he was still giving it out. And sure, it was a little bit slower and a little bit like more confused or, or whatever. <laughs> in the seventies, uh, you know, in a pantsuit. Not everyone's uh, the Rolling Stones. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, no, not everybody is the Rolling Stones. And should the Rolling Stones keep going? Though, you know, Keith Richards, you can see, <laughs> you can see Richards in 1965 inside of him, but I don't even think he knows it's there anymore. Yeah. But but seeing an older artist recapturing, basically playing the hits, uh, which there's a lot of these days. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's great to go and see that the, the kind of the the beautiful kind of I don't know them. It's a little bit melancholy sometimes when you go and see an older yeah. artist play something that was is twenty five or thirty years old. But often they're the, the reason that they're there is that people still care and they're still filling the room to go and see them play live. It's kind of one of those things where sometimes you had a mate that you're really good friends with for a number of years and you've got along like house on fire. But then you'd lose contact for 10 years, and then you think it'd be a great idea to meet up with him. Then you meet up with him, and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, what did, yeah. Yeah, what did I do this for? That's not quite like yeah, I remember. that's not it. what I was expecting. Yeah. So I feel like there's a, there, in, in this, in, okay, so there's a, there's a lot of guys I know, like we're approaching 30-ish, and there's a lot of guys I know that, go, they, that don't go out and see live music anymore like they used to. And I think there's a bit of, you know, that teenage hormone and that rock and roll, that first love that you never get over kind of thing about live music. But so maybe you need to get that jolt at the right age and the right time and then it sort of sets you yeah, up from there. Because most of the people I know that are into it got into it and mostly stayed into it. Maybe not as much as when we were younger, but certainly still consistently. I still do. Uh, I still still love it. And that's the thing. Me too. Like, I still love it. I would still go all the time, you know, uh, it's in me, and yes, that you don't, you don't get like. I mean, maybe I love Midnight Oil because I was twenty-two or whatever. Yeah. Maybe, it, maybe those shows had some further impact on me. You know, they say you know, pretty much. You know, why does Hits and Memories Radio exist? Because everybody remembers where they were when they heard those songs. It's about looking backward rather than looking forward. And yeah. I like the idea of looking forward with musos. And then you see musos who've played on stage for years and years and years and years, and there's something special about. Seeing them play, and yep. the, and you know you go and see someone like say Richard Thompson, like Richard Thompson will play, I don't know how many songs the guy's got. I mean maybe uh, thousands, you would think. Mm. You can go and see him play, and it's not yesterday's live music; it's today's live music. Yeah. And he's playing songs that he might have written yesterday, and then he's playing one that he wrote thirty years ago, and now he's playing, and when he goes off stage, the crowd want him to stay because. They like the guy's got another eight hundred songs he could play for you. Like, well, yeah. play me the eight hundred. I'll, I'll, it's okay. I'll hang around. Weirdly, <laughs> we'll, there was this... we'll do this clockwork orange style and just. Uh... I had this experience. I might have been about like seventeen, and Elton John was playing another Australian stadium tour, which he does very often. And seriously, I could not have cared less about Elton John at seventeen. And there were like half of my aunties and uncles were going and my cousin was going and he had a spare ticket his wife couldn't go and so therefore he yeah oh, do you want to come oh uh, uh, all right i'll come i'll go see crocodile rock and about halfway through he's like he just said okay i know sydney entertainment center you're not here to see my new stuff but precious little opportunity to play this shit so i'm gonna play a couple of new songs if you want to go to the bar go yeah. if you appreciate this stay and i really fucking thought that was awesome and i was like okay dude's a human dude's an older performer knows what people want to see and he played 
the ass off that new stuff, yeah. and it was awesome. And I was seventeen, and I went, "Cool, fan now." Yeah, but you still, yeah, and then you think, "Can you play Daniel, please? Please, just do Daniel." Yeah, <laughs> but still, it's the humanity of it. It's, yeah, yeah. it's the fact that he's like, "Okay, I'm a person. I have had X, Y, Z career, but I want to do something now for you." That, but you don't. And that's the thing. It's like you know, in live performance, you're not trapped necessarily by your. Uh, by your back catalogue. Yeah. You, you do have the opportunity, and, 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 and it, people go to see the hits, but oh, yeah. but if you are a true artist uh, and you're continuing to write and whatever, you want to bring new music like you did 20, 30, 40 years ago that just happened to go to the top of the charts. You know, mm. you, you, the music that you're playing is still important to you and you can still play it, which is the thing that I still love about live music. Yeah. Know, and you can still play it. You're still, you know, you're still a great... If you're Elton John, you're still an awesome pianist and you're well, an awesome showman. Speaking of Elton John, what I kind of like about Billy Joel, who I never had any <laughs> knowledge of or experience of until I met my, my fiance and she'd grown up with it, and I was like, okay, there's... Oh, wow, there's something in this. Melody-wise, that's amazing. Like, he technically is getting lower and lower and his voice is getting raspier and raspier as he gets older, but he still plays the same thing and he tunes down the key and he yeah. tunes down the key. And we've seen about three times and I think he's singing that thing as, as you know, swing low, sweet charity as he can now. But it's it's really in, it's really interesting and awesome how different the live experience is, even with an All Phones Arena type performance with that guy than there is on record. I don't know. I mean, yeah, and, and well, I mean, you know, I'm slightly bagging the Rolling Stones, and I've only <laughs> ever seen them play live once on the Steel Wheels tour. But um, they are—they're bluesmen, you know. Like, yeah. would, you, would you expect? Would you expect bluesmen to stop playing? Did you want them to stop no. playing? No. Also, I always the classic. If I was in that position, and you were. Like, forget about the money. I'm sure the money does come into it, but let's put that aside for a moment. I don't even know if the money but, comes into it anymore. They've got enough. Yeah, but if you're having that much fucking fun and can still <laughs> physically do it, why wouldn't you be well, doing would you it? Stop? Would you stop? Also, bluesmen, their heroes are all fucking old, really old dudes now who still play yeah. all the fucking time and thrive on live, you know? And, yeah, you've got to be careful about being... Well, you've got to be careful about being an old band... Let me think. You know, smoky touring Australia with uh, yeah. with new remaining members of the band, or like yeah. one guy who once played bass on one of the records. Oh. You know, and you know, stumbling in. You know, yeah, that is a little bit tired and sad. But you're feeding something. You're still feeding something the audience wants to see. You're also, still- if you're the majority of the original band, fucking go for it. Yeah, well, that's like the LRB thing at the moment, isn't it? Fucking Glenn Shorrock and Jimmy Fallon. Glenn Shorrock wrote a letter to Jimmy Fallon saying, if you let them play, pass a message on to them, go fuck themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. tell them to go fuck themselves. Oh Good on you. Oh, and by the way, LRB get a lot of shit. And, uh, you know, they're great songs that get... Yeah, everybody wants to go help us on its way or reminiscing. These guys cracked it huge in America. They sold millions of records. Yeah. By the way, they were the first band to ever record with an orchestra on stage with them, with the Adelaide Symphony Orchestra, a live album. You can go and find LRB live with the Adelaide Symphony Orchestra. This is all pre-Farnham, right? Uh, oh yeah, long before yeah, yeah. Farnham. Yes. Pre Farnham. <laughs> is that still LRB? That's I, <laughs> well. Is it still LRB now? 
Fallon is playing them as LRB, so I think Farnham is, oh, is like the classic era. That's that bass player who stole the name, you bastard. <laughs> Little River, it's outside of Melbourne. It's not in America, you idiot. Um, <laughs> but um, LRB, uh, just... Just listen to the very first album they ever made. Mm. Just listen to um, Hey Everybody. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a long way there. Yeah. Uh, when Rick Formosa was still playing guitar with yeah. them, still plays one of the best recorded uh, guitar breaks ever. And that version, only it, never play the single, only play the eight-minute version of It's a Long Way There. And, you know, and you'll love LRB. Okay, hold on. My, my, okay, my dad, my dad listens to a lot of LRB, and I grew up with it, and I have a healthy respect for them. But I think what I think what almost keeps coming to it is that moment before they break it is that moment when they just break it of, you know, that first album that absolute lightning in a bottle and how then they navigate the industry and the best bands that navigate the industry are the ones who can still keep something of that passion of that. Yeah. Thrive and that want to do it. The kind that's of, it's the U two problem, you know, like the U two, like an amazing band. An Is amazing it bad that when you said U two problem, I thought like glaucoma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're wearing sunglasses in the daytime yeah. and nighttime. Um, uh, you know, an amazing band. And I saw U two play the first time ever they toured Australia at the Apollo Stadium in Adelaide, around the kind of Red Rocks Live kind of period, and mm. they were extraordinary, extraordinary. Uh, I saw the police play the first time they ever played in Australia mm. and they were amazing you know they were amazing a three piece that just were extraordinary and then they become corporatized and everybody wants to diss them and whatever and you've got to kind of hold on to those moments and and that's the thing is like with live music you can still hold on to those moments. It, 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 you know as the Alzheimer's builds up you can't remember quite as much but great live concerts I've seen you know great things I've seen along the way that I would always cherish and think wow you know uh, seeing you two live uh, seeing the police live uh, well the Black Crows that I saw a, a play at uh, the, oh, man if you want to see Southern yeah. Rock played like super well oh. Fuck yeah. Go and see that band. That they, band's not in it for uh, the money anymore. They are rocking, you know, yeah. straight out rock and roll. There's no nothing in between you and them. They might as well be in a Georgia bar or whatever. You know, they are yeah. playing exactly as they play. The other concert I remember brilliantly because, much as it sounds terrible to say, um, when Pearl Jam first ever came and played yeah. in Australia... I I sort of knew them and I I sort of had the records and I'd played the records. I think Vitalogy was out um, and I was like, okay, uh, you know, I was working for uh, the wonderful Triple J organisation and uh, I filled out the uh, the free and discounted services book and got a free ticket. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I, went, I went to this concert and I said to my partner at the time, do you want to go and see Pearl Jam? And she said, oh, yeah, I wouldn't mind. And I said, I don't think it's a I wouldn't mind type of concert, darling. I think it's a sort of like a yes, I want to go and see them concert. Yeah. So I rang up an old mate of mine and said, do you want to go and see Pearl Jam? She said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I like that disting- distinguishing, by the way, between like, uh, <laughs> and, eh, like or a fuck or yes. <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't, I can't really, um, yeah. It doesn't make the gig enjoyable <laughs> if you're with someone who does not really want to be yeah. there. Well, you know, and, I, and as I say, I was pretty much behind the able. I didn't, I wasn't the super Pearl Jam fan. We get to the Sydney Entertainment Centre. No kidding, I could not hear myself think for about 
an hour before the band came on stage. There were kids running down, you know, watching the security guards and then just, like, jumping out into the crowd down below, just, you know, madness, absolute madness. It is the only time that I've ever been to a live concert where when the band played their first chords, I couldn't hear them because the noise of the crowd was insane, insane, reverberating around the Sydney Entertainment Centre in a big concrete bowl. Yeah. I couldn't actually hear the band for maybe one or two minutes, you know, before they were halfway through their first song. And what I loved about them was that I had seen the Red Hot Chippity Peppers, I think maybe, you know, in the previous weeks or whatever, and they were very stadium, you know, front out, big show, hey, how you all doing, yeah. what are you doing tonight, Sydney, blah, 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 blah. Pearl Jam played like they were in a rehearsal room. They played not front out, they played like in a ring mm. uh, in the centre of the big stage mm. and they just played at each other, to each other, looking, picking each other's, you know, that, that thing I'm saying where yeah. you've played together for so long. What's it's instinctual. Your wink, my nod, okay, yep, we're doing yeah. this. Uh, extraordinary band. Live, uh, I just, uh, as I say, I was not a massive fan until I saw them live and I would put it in my top five concerts of all time. Yeah. They just were unbelievably good. Well, unbelievably. That sort of... Um era, if you will, of Pearl Jam was probably like one of the best spots for their career because it was kind of like, their first album was kind of like this weird mix of grunge and sort of stadium rock. It, yeah. it was, I don't know, it was it sounds really Something dated. Fun. It sounds dated if you listen to yeah. it now. It sounds really odd. The songs are really awesome and strong, but it just sounds, I don't know, yeah. something of its time. Whereas Versus doesn't really age as bad, but Vitalogy, I think, sounds like it's contemporary in a sense because it's sort of got that um i don't know weird eclectic mix of songs on there it's got some rockers got some slow ones some weird shit but it still works out thing when we're saying what is the difference between getting those songs on record and what is the difference between seeing those bands live okay well if you see uh, you know i have obviously respect for pearl jam as a band and i didn't really know the records and i was a little bit oh, they're a little bit stadium and they're a little bit sort of you know corporatized grunge and you kind of have your own opinions of what bands yeah, are rightly or wrongly you sort of yeah. sometimes yeah but until i actually saw them step out on stage and play i didn't respect them as much as i did from that night and then they just jumped in my reckoning about what they were and why they were selling millions of records worldwide because that band is still the band that played in Seattle at, you know, Mike McCready's Garage or whatever. You know, that they are still that band and, and that's the problem as you get older and older. Are you still that band and have you got the same sort of energy? But right then, in the mid-'90s, when I saw them play them that first tour, I just was un- I just blown out by what they were. I could, and and I, it was the liveness of it that was the important part of it. Well, that's really the odd thing with the whole Seattle grunge scene because it was kind of like born out of a, I don't know, distrust or hatred of the rock posering and we're just going to get sort of back to basics. But then it all sort of did thrive from a live music scene, even though there wasn't that sort of theatrics or I'm in love with the performance like we were talking about earlier. I mean, there was certainly a love for the performance, which I'm sure was evident, but it wasn't really the sort of showmanship that you would sort of link to rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I don't know, when you... Any any good performer knows where the audience is. I, some performer, you know, the turning your back on the interview thing with Sia at the moment, you know, uh, yeah, I understand, but, you know, that's... 
we're over here, darling. <laughs> well, I, I and some of it sort of uh, often can come up, I guess, as played out or cliched when it sort of seems a bit too forced. Like if you sort of swing too far one way or the other. And I can, I mean, I can remember going to see her. I mean, very, very vaguely. I mean, seeing her at the Lion Theatre in Adelaide when she was starting out. You know, she was just this young, you know, this young thing that said, "Oh, somebody said she's really good," and you know, she's performing really well. And that's the thing. It's like you know, you can see great, great, great live performance, and you, and it is that question of why isn't this, why aren't these people internationally famous? Why isn't this? Why is there only 40 of us here? Why are there only 200 of them? You've got to grip onto the fact that you are one of the 40 or one of the 10,000, but um, you, you, by the time you get to the 10,000, you're probably pretty big, you know, internationally. But the number of times I've seen shows, uh, very small shows, that uh, are extraordinary and you leave with the love in your heart and the memory forever, um, and you think, mm, I wonder how the... I wonder how they felt about that. I wonder if they thought they got off stage and thought, geez, I wish I was playing to 10,000 people. <laughs> but I like that you're the kind of person who goes and thinks what the band, you know, what does the band think, you know? Fuck. There's a pressure a few people who do. Yeah, but that's because I want to be a muser. It's about desire. It's about I wouldn't mind being them. If I could play, I'd play all the time. Okay, so that's the thing. It's the awe. It's that whether you appreciate exactly what they do or not, you know they're doing something pretty fucking cool or special. Well, yeah. and Which a lot like, of people fucking don't understand. And something can be special with a very intimate crowd. Just recently I saw Ed Cooper play at the Railway Club in Darwin. Well, he, I think he'd had a little bit of medicine. Um, <laughs> but it was the last date on his national tour, and I'm not sure whether he'd done this on his national tour or not, but he pretty much got up on stage with, you know, maybe 200 and... 20 people in the room. It's, yeah. you know, it's not a big... You're not going to get a big crowd in Darwin for yeah. Um And he said, I'm, I'm going to play requests. Mm. And people called songs out. And he would decide whether or not he wanted to play them. Uh, you know, at one point he said, you know, like, if you can't pronounce it, I'm not going to play it. <laughs> I'm not going to play it. And I was, uh, I was super chuffed because I called out a song from Today Wonder, a wonderful, wonderful mm. record with Mark Dawson on drums and him playing. And There's a song called Pretty Mary, which I've always loved. And uh, people were shouting out, you know, they wanted to hear old saint songs and they yeah. wanted to hear, you know... Of uh, course. Da, 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 da. And we did that. He said, he said, oh, you sing like, you sing this bit. But I called out, I said, Pretty Mary. And he looked up, he listened, he's sitting down, he looked up and he sort of looked into the, the haze that is the crowd in front of him. And he said, pretty Mary, he said, you know what, in the entire tour, nobody has ever called that song out. Mm. And so I'm going to play it. And I was like, yes, yes. Yeah. And I got to hear him play one of my favourite, favourite, favourite recorded songs yeah. live. And it's just like, you know, it's the sort of thing that you go, well, that's going to be special forever. How long have we been talking to, talking <laughs> for? Do we need to wrap this up? <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you reckon Steve Smith is going to be any good tonight? Yeah, I reckon he will because he seriously, okay, this guy got his jaw broken in a mugging in Adelaide about two months ago, right? And he's it was already... In Newtown, wasn't it? I thought it was in Adelaide. Don't, don't give Adelaide a bad name. I thought it was I've in Newtown. I've been down Street. It's a marvellous place. It's a warm family, family experience. Regardless. It's churches, isn't it? <laughs> all right. On, on that basis, whether or not it was Newtown, fucking Newtown. Anyway, he got his jaw broken and he's two months out rescheduling his entire tour and he's here playing... 
for free. I'm sure he's getting a cut off the bar or something, but holy crap, we can just walk into the pub ten minutes from this house and see someone... Can we? It's a Wednesday night. Have you checked? Are we going to get in or are we going to get there and there'll be like every Steve Smith man you know, like is driven from Sydney, they've driven from all over the Central Coast, they've driven, like, they're driven down from the Gold Coast, they're like, Steve's on. Well, that's the exciting going. thing. He's playing fucking everywhere <laughs> so you don't need to travel. <laughs> that's right. So what you're saying is we could be in the experience seeing a great artist with us three. I don't know if it'll be us three. I think well, I, that I know at least six or seven other people that are going. I bought a bus so. from the side of that pub this morning, and I think the poster said like there'll be much whooping and wallering and things like well, that going. At least on. you didn't say that there were people lining up. We should leave virtually now. I was going to say like if we don't leave now, we will need. We will be now. the guys who said, "Man, I was going to see that show," and everyone said it was one of the rockingest shows ever. And we were standing on the street in Mayfield outside, saying, "Please let us in, please." Well, which to sum it all up is the like the fucking live music experience we're talking about. You might fucking miss that thing if you don't go going now. <laughs> So let's go. Thank you very much for listening. DL, if you want to find more Splitting Cases, splittingcases.com. It'll take you to all the places that you need to go. Sleep.